Our text this morning is 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. So if you would please give diligent attention to the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have indeed given us your word, that you've given us your word through the Apostle Peter. And we pray, O Lord, that you would make it very real to us this morning. And we ask, Lord, that this morning you would show us Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. A few years back, there was a film in the theaters had kind of an odd premise to it. It was called The Truman Show. Some of you may have seen it. The premise of it was a television show in which a man's entire life was filmed from beginning to end. and He, didn't, he was the only one not in on the show. His life was an open book for everyone. And perhaps you, like me, when you watched it, got a little bit uncomfortable. You put yourself in the place of Truman, thinking, well, I wouldn't want cameras following me 24 hours a day, everywhere I went, recording everything that I did so that everyone could see it. What a horrible thing to have happen. Perhaps also you've had the experience, maybe it was when you were younger in Sunday school, of people talking about the omniscience of God. Talking about it in a way like this. Well, you know, it's just like a video camera was videotaping you all your life, every moment of your life. And in final judgment, it'll all play back before you. All of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's a bit scary, isn't it? Peter has a bit of a different take on this kind of public life. You see, Peter says that the Christian life is like the Truman Show. But it's not something to be scared of. It is a wonderful opportunity that we have. Our lives are arenas. Huge arenas. Bigger than at College Station. Bigger than at Austin. Yes, even bigger than the big house in Ann Arbor. Huge arenas for spectators to see the gospel worked out in the lives of God's people. And what we're going to be looking at this morning and in weeks to come is ways in which the gospel can be seen. This morning, Lord willing, we're going to see how it's worked out in the public life of the Christian, life with with the government and with the state. We'll look at life at work, We'll look at life in the family 
and see how all of the areas of our lives, no matter how big or how small, are an opportunity for others around us to see the gospel and to see the principle that Peter put forth that we looked at last week in verse 12. That others might see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So then this morning, I'd like us to look at God and government and what it means to be a Christian with respect to government. It's an appropriate and applicable conversation. Some of you perhaps are going to go vote tomorrow or Tuesday. And I can say to you with great sincerity that that's not the reason that we're in this text. It's because last week we were in verses 11 and 12. But God in his providence has brought us here at a time in the fall when we think about government the most, when it's on our minds to see what the Bible says about it. And what I'd like us to see is Peter's advice to us and how we deal with government and with the state in three respects. The first is, as we seek to obey that command in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. The first question that we say is, what is submission? What does it mean to submit, to be subject? But then once we've actually figured out what submission is, there's a natural question that follows. It's a question that the mother of every four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old knows after you've explained something, what it is. The, the next question is, why? But why? And we appropriately ask that same question. Okay, you've told me what submission is, Peter. Why should I submit? And then finally, we have a third question that comes to our mind, that comes readily to most adults, but especially to teen adults and following. Okay, I understand what I'm supposed to do. I understand why I'm supposed to do it, but how do I do it? I'm not that familiar with it. But so Peter tells us how we are to submit, in what manner. Well, first let's look then at what submission is. Looking at verse 13, Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What is submission? The first thing that I want you to understand about submission, and specifically here submission to human authorities, is something that's not found directly in the text, but it's behind the text. You can get it just from the tone of verse 13. And that is, this is a very personal act. Peter's not writing a dissertation. This is not a doctoral thesis. He begins with a command, be subject. It's very practical. It's very pastoral. It's directed at you and me. It's not directed to some theoretical people out there. Oftentimes, we over-theorize aspects of the Christian life. We try and think about generally a way that might be true. And that allows us to comfortably dodge the arrow of application. To say, well, that might be true in general. I'm not really sure how that applies to me. Let me give you an illustration. It may be one that you're familiar with if you've had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone else. You share the gospel with them and you say, you must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There is no other name under heaven under which a man could be saved. And a person who's usually... A wisecracker will say to you, well, what about the pygmy in Africa? He's in the heart of Africa. He's never seen 
or talk to someone about the gospel. What does God do about him? And you and I both know that question doesn't have anything to do with the pygmy in Africa. Because they're trying to deflect from themselves a demand of the Lord. To which I often respond in a situation like that, well, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were a pygmy. I didn't realize that you had, you know, great stake in Central Africa, and that you'd moved here. You see, this command is for you. It calls upon you. It's not some theory. And so it is here with Peter's command to submit. It comes to each one of us. It doesn't come to non-Americans. It doesn't come to Americans in power. It doesn't only come to men. It doesn't only come to children. It comes to all of us. Be subject. It's a very personal command. It's also designed to cover all situations. You've heard me say several times that Peter is a consummate pastor. He's someone that that I take advice from every day on how to pastor. Because you'll notice that one of the things that he continues to do, I keep mentioning it, is that he anticipates objections that might be raised to his teaching. And he strips them away from us. He doesn't allow us a place to hide. You see, not only does he say, this is a command, you must submit. He says, by the way, you need to be subject to every human institution. Not just the ones you like. Not just the ones that you think are good. Not just the local ones, but not the national ones. Not just the state ones, but not the regional ones. Every human institution. He says, whether it's to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors, to those who are sent by him. You see, oftentimes we're faced with that difficulty as Christians, especially as we approach thinking about elections, especially national elections. We say to ourselves, I don't know how I could be subject to that president when I know his morality. I don't know how I could submit to this one when I know his or her policies. But you see, it's difficult for us to say that when we substitute a few words. When we don't say, to the emperor as supreme, but we say, to Nero. You know, the one whose hobby was dipping Christians in oil and lighting them on fire to light his parties? To governors, no, to Pilate, the one who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. To Felix, the one who said to Paul, well, not now, I'm not interested in your religion. You see, these men, these institutions that Peter is advising us to be subject to are not good institutions. They're not godly Christian institutions. I might dare say that the flock that Peter is speaking to would jump for joy to submit to Bill Clinton or any other name that you could think of in politics. You see, they were faced with real people, with real persecution and death. It's a very personal thing that cuts to us. But it's not just that it comes to us personally. It tells us this command that we are to be under authority. This is not something we like as Americans, is it? We pride ourselves that we rule ourselves, that we the people rule, and we are independent. We lead by our bootstraps. We tighten our belts and we do what we want. We're Americans. We're not serfs. We're not slaves. 
But you see, what Peter says is, we are to do this. We are to place ourselves under legitimate authority that God has ordained. We're to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, he says. This word, be subject, is a favorite word of Peter's. It basically is a military term. It means you get in under ranks under your commander. This word is used by Peter on six occasions. In this verse, in verse 18, in chapter 3, verse 1, in chapter 3, verse 5, in chapter 3, verse 22, and in chapter 5, verse 5. An awful lot for a very small letter. As a matter of fact... 15% of all the occurrences of this word in the Bible are used by Peter in this little letter. It's important for him. We're to place ourselves under legitimate authority. And this placing of oneself under legitimate authority is not as a result of sin. You see, oftentimes another error that we have as Americans is that we think that heaven is going to be the perfect democracy. We'll all get our ballot cards. We'll all place our ballots in the ballot boxes, the only thing that will happen is because it's perfect, everything will come out 100%. But we're still independent and democratic. But you see, Peter talks later in verse 22 of chapter 3 about the angels being subject to Jesus. Angels who had never sinned, never fallen from their first estate. You see, part of God's order is authority and being subject to it. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Lest we think that being subject to others is sinful, you must banish that thought from your mind because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was subject to his parents in Luke chapter 2. You see, children, anytime you think you have a right not to be subject to your parents, those whom God has placed to rule over you, you are wrong. Because our Lord Jesus Christ submitted to his parents, even when he knew he was about important business, even when he knew he was always right and they were not. And none of us can claim to be the Lord Jesus. You see, we are called to be subject to legitimate authority. It is a sign of being born again. Why do I say that? If you look in Romans 8, you will see that one of the defining marks of the carnal mind, Paul says, chapter 8, verse 7, of the mind of an unbeliever is that it will not be subject to God or his law. So the reverse would seem to be true, that being subject to God, to his institutions that he has ordained, and to his law is the mark of a redeemed person. You see, these institutions are deputies ordained by God. Paul tells us this in Romans 13. They're not always perfect. They're not always right. They're not even always to be obeyed in every instance. But they are ordained by God. They have to answer for their sin. They have to answer for their mismanagement. You know, it's one of the reasons when I speak to someone who's thinking of going to seminary, I say to them, you'd better be careful and think about it. Or if someone was desiring to be an officer, I say, you should give this some thought. Because with privilege, with honor, comes responsibility. And so it is, too, in governing authorities. You see, 
One of our errors is we say, well, we don't respect this government, so we're not going to obey them. An equally bad error is to say, well, we ought to submit to government, so whatever the government says, we ought to do it. Right? No. Because there's a very important exception here. You may remember the story from Acts chapter 5, when a man named Peter was called to submit to the authority over him. They told him to stop preaching Jesus. And he looked at them and he said, I will not obey, I will obey God rather than man. Now you say to yourself, how does that fit in here with this? Peter says, be subject. I think it fits in perfectly. Because you see, these authorities are God's authorities. You can't obey the deputy in order to disobey the chief. You can't disobey God in order to obey his instruments. It doesn't work that way. We are to submit first and foremost to God, and we are to submit to ruling authorities, powers, institutions, because they are ordained by God. They get all of their power, all of their legitimacy from the Lord. What this also means, though, is don't abuse the exception. It is the exception rather than the rule. Peter didn't say after that, well, I guess I won't listen to anyone about anything now. I'll do whatever I want to do. No. He submitted where he was not called to sin. And where he was called to sin, he obeyed God rather than man. This is what submission is. There is is a context for this, and it's important. So we might say then, well, why should we submit? Is there a good reason for this? Or is Peter just being a bit... Uh, is, he just, is he just being arbitrary about this? No. The first reason that we submit that Peter says is because we do so for our own good. We submit to ruling authorities for our own good. Notice what these authorities are called to do. Every human institution is called to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is for our good. The first thing is the punishment of evil. Theologians talk about this as the first use of the law. But the point is that good government punishes wrongdoing. It says that evil is evil and it takes action against it. And this word for punishment here is very wide in its scope. It deals not only with judging it as being wrong, but taking action against it. There's another verse that's used often in the context of thinking about government. It's Paul's verse where he says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It's a call to us to not take matters into our own hands, but to leave matters to God. That word for vengeance is the same word as this word for punish. You see, part of the way that God takes vengeance upon evil is through his instruments, through the government. This is part of God's plan. And this is a just judgment. It implies a right judgment. Because they are to punish those who do evil. If you look in chapter 3 at verse 17... There are occasions in which judgment is not just. When Christians are punished, they are suffering for doing good, not evil. 
That makes a government a bad government. The purpose of government is to punish evil. But it's also to give praise to those who are doing good. We, we lose a bit of this in our modern context. In Peter's day, it would be an ordinary thing for if someone was a good benefactor to society, for the government to build a monument or a building or to take some form of action. Perhaps they would commission a poet like Virgil or Ovid to write a eulogy or a poem in honor of this well-doer, this one who did good. We don't see much of that today. But you see, that's part of the purpose of government and authority. It's not only to discourage evil, but to encourage good. Our government should be about encouraging marriage, not living in sin. Our government should be about encouraging life, not death. Our government should be about encouraging the holding up of God's law, discouraging theft, encouraging honesty. And where that is not the case, we are called upon, through our actions, to work to change our government, to be an arena in which others will see and say, I wish more people acted that way. I wish people didn't break into my car and steal my computer. I wish people didn't kick in my door. I wish people didn't mess up my trees. I wish instead people volunteered to weed my garden. I wish instead people asked to watch my children. I wish instead people helped me out when I was down and out. You see, that's how real change occurs. It's through Christians living the Christian life. The second reason to submit is not just for our own good, but the more important reason that Peter says is that we do this to obey God's will. Do you notice that little phrase in verse 13? We are called to be subject, but we're called to be subject for the Lord's sake. Do you notice that? Government is not an end in itself, contrary to what many think today. We're called to be subject for the Lord's sake. You see, because God has a purpose in rulers, even evil ones. This is a difficult thing for us to think about as 21st century American Christians. But it can be the case in which God visits a wicked, evil ruler upon a nation for his own purposes. Could be for judgment. We've seen throughout history this has happened to nations. It doesn't have to be just that. You see, God doesn't always work exactly as we think in a a 1 plus 1 equals 2 formula. Bad ruler, people must be sinning, judgment from God, God taking punishment upon people. If I were to ask you, where do you think the church, broadly speaking, is growing fastest today? America? Sweden? England. How about the Netherlands with its great history of Reformed theology? Perhaps Switzerland, Calvin's place of pastoring. No, I think if we looked, we would find that the place where the gospel is spreading like wildfire, where the church is thriving, is China. 
You know the place where they have an abominable government? A government that forces couples to have an abortion after their first child? A couple that jails and tortures Christians? A government that is trying to stamp out the gospel. God is using that arena, that crucible, to grow His church beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. I've mentioned to some of you privately that I think that if the battle against Islam is to be won, and it is a battle, I think it will be won not with American smart bombs. It will be won because the nation of China will be a mighty, powerful arm of God as the church takes over the largest nation in the world. Do you believe that could happen? Is your hope against Osama bin Laden that the church would grow so rapidly in Iraq, in Kurdistan, in Turkey, that he would have no chance but to submit and repent or be defeated? Or is your hope that we will develop a better, cheaper smart missile? Don't get me wrong. I hope our government is working on better, cheaper, smart missiles. But my hope is not there. My hope is in the Lord and His will. You see, submitting brings glory to God. It is a testimony that we have eternal concerns. Only the Christian in this election cycle can pray that the Lord would bless strengthen and enlighten Republican and Democratic candidates. Only the Christian. You see, the Christian can be in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but he is a Christian first and a politician second. You see, by having this kind of attitude of submission, we show that we don't fear the presidency of Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones. Because our hands, our lives, our families are safe in the arms of God. He has seen his people through the wickedest of kings. And the most faithful of rulers. You see, by testifying in this fashion of submission, we show that our allegiance is not to a party, not to a country, but it is to God first. And we pray that the Lord works through our country, works through our politicians, works through our lawmakers. We don't abandon them. We don't hide in a closet. We submit to them. We pray for them. And we seek the Lord's will to be done. We're called to submit. It's a very uncomfortable thing. But for God's glory and our good and the good of the gospel, we submit. The question would then come to us, well, how do I do this? What does this look like? Peter answers that question for us in verse 16. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, as, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is one of these few occasions in which I think the translation needs to get massaged a little bit. Because the words here, live, are actually not found in the text. It's actually one of these funny Greek sentences that doesn't have a verb. And so you've got to decide what to plug in there. Live, be, think. 
We try and take it from context. And this translation is no worse than any other. We're all faced with this difficulty. But even if we think about living, which I think is not bad as a translation, I think we need to think about it in this context, that the main verb that we were looking at was what? Be subject. Submit. That manner of living. So what we need to think about here is, is that Peter's call is we are to do this, namely, as free people, not using our freedom as a cover-up. That is the way in which we submit. That's how we do it. The first way that we submit is as free people. How can a Christian do that? How can a Christian in China, as free Submit to his government. How could one who is in slavery, literal bondage, in the Sudan, submit to his government as free? You see, this is where Peter, again, is giving us a glimpse of what's beyond the here and the now. And that is that our freedom is not based upon one man, one vote. Or whether there are eight or nine or ten or fifteen items in the Bill of Rights. Our freedom is based, first and foremost, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have every civil liberty in the world, but if we do not have freedom from the bondage of sin, we are enslaved deeper than anyone could ever hope to free us. No revolution with guns, no printing press with pamphlets can free us from that kind of bondage. But you see, the Christian is freed from that. He is freed from the bondage of sin and selfishness and death. And that is the manner in which he can submit. He can show that his true loyalty is to God in his submission. Because God is the one who has freed him from slavery. You see, others are happy to obey and submit to governments that they like. They're happy to submit to laws that they think are wise and just. But when something comes around that isn't, it's very difficult to submit to it. One of the areas in which I struggle on this, especially when I lived in Mississippi, was driving down a stretch of Highway 55 on a Sunday morning, going to preach in Chula, when there might be four other cars on the road. Large, Four lane, two each ways, no potholes, interstate highway. Clear as the day is. You could dream about that in Houston. But imagine, if you would, with me. And the speed limit is 55. And you say to yourself, under your breath, what fool thought up 55? This has got to be at least 65, if not 70. It's hard to submit to that kind of law. Because it doesn't make any sense. But you see, to the Christian who knows true freedom, who knows his submission is for the Lord, he doesn't just have to submit to things he likes. He shows true loyalty. As a Christian, we are servants to the Lord. You see, we're not free in the sense that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want to. Kids, if you're waiting for that day and you think it'll come in high school, talk to some of the high schoolers when they have to go to work after school. 
You think, oh, it'll be great when I'm in high school. I'll have money. I'll be able to drive. Talk to your friends who are older and can drive. And they have to drive their brothers and sisters around. High schoolers, talk to the college students when you say, well, just when I get to college, no more mom and dad, I'll be free. And they tell you about exams. They're paying certain bills and doing certain things and not having mom and dad there to fix everything for you. College students, when you think, well, as soon as I get a job and the money's rolling in and I got a wife to help me, talk to any of these parents of young children here and ask them when the last time was they saw a movie and they decided on a whim to go see a movie. Not two weeks in advance lining up a babysitter. Right? Think, well, only if when the kids get out of the house. Talk to some of the dear saints here who are a little bit older and don't run as fast as they used to. Their hands don't work as well as they used to. You see, we don't have complete freedom. That's not how God has designed our lives in this place and in this time. We serve the Lord. Our freedom is tempered by serving the Lord. We're to submit as free people, but we're also to submit without ulterior motive. What is ulterior motive? Well, that's a fancy way to describe often help from children. Maybe you had a 16 or 17-year-old come up to you and say, Dad, I was wondering, car looks a little dirty. I think I'm going to go out and clean it for you. What do you think? Dad knows the next question that's coming, right? Why do you want to clean that, son? Well, I was thinking I might clean it, and then maybe you let me take it out for a spin. Okay. Mom, Dad, I just cleaned my room. It's spick and span. My bed's made. Everything's perfect. Okay. Why? Well, I was hoping that Tommy could come over, and we could... Adults do it, too. Sir, the report is here two days early. I've completed it off. It's in on Thursday morning. I know you wanted it Friday afternoon, but it's two days early. I was just wondering if you might see your way clear to let me take Friday as a personal day. You see, we all do this. But we're not called to serve and to submit like this. We don't do it waiting for the other shoe to drop. We don't do it for what comes to us out of it. You see, submitting is not a means to an end. Peter puts it this way. He says, don't act using a cover for evil. Don't do this for yourself. Do it for the Lord's sake. We're to submit as free people, but as people who do it without ulterior motive. There's one final thing that Peter tells us about here. And it may seem kind of odd. It's a series of very staccato statements. It's almost like you don't expect this to come out of a well-polished preacher. This is sort of like what you expect the rain man to say, right? Wapner, 5 o'clock on Tuesday. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Peter, can't you decide what's going on here? No. What Peter is doing is, as quickly as he can, giving us the context for our submission and how we submit. And we do it in the context of our worldview. You see, the Christian's approach to government is a Christian one. Not a pragmatic one. Not a smart one. It is a Christian one. We don't think about politics and close our Bibles. 
We don't think about politics and not worry about the church. We think about government and submission and politics and the state in the context in which we live, which is as servants of the living God, as a part of the church of God. And so what Peter says is, don't forget, honor everyone. He says, everyone is made in God's image. Treat everyone with value. No one is throwaway. We're to honor everyone. And he does something interesting. On the other end of it, he bookends it with honor the emperor. You notice that? On the one level, he's saying respect authority. But do you notice what he's doing? He's equating everyone with whom? The emperor. He's saying, in a very real sense, the emperor is no different from the milkmaid or the newspaper boy or the roofer. They all deserve honor and respect in the area in which God has placed them. And he says there's a different sort of respect that we have. And that is for fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a special importance to the church. He says, you're to honor everyone, but love the brotherhood. Love the brothers and the sisters, some translations say. We're to have a special level of closeness to our family, to the family of God. And then Peter reminds us, just in case we're tempted to submit too much to government or tempted to put God out of the equation, he says, fear God. He doesn't say fear the king. He doesn't say fear the emperor. He says fear God. The highest level of respect, awe, and duty are owed only to God. That's the context of our submission. Our submission is first to God. He gets our fear. And in that, we show our love to others. And then we seek to honor everyone that we can. Paul puts it a different way. Be at peace with everyone, so much as it lies within you. Others are breaking peace by sinning, by blaspheming the Lord. Then you can't be at peace with them. But as much as lies with you, be at peace with others. So, why does Peter go on about this little dissertation of government? I think we need to remember, in conclusion here, that Peter is reminding us of our duty as we are seen by others. That we do this so that others see the gospel. Because the gospel and how it is lived out in both how we submit and how, at occasions, we cannot submit to the government and God at the same time, that they will see the importance of the gospel and it will have eternal ramifications. And then finally, it's a source of great comfort for us. Peter tells you, in essence, don't worry about what's going on. Submit. Look to the Lord. Look to Him to preserve you. And so, at times when we're worried about what's going to happen... What law might be passed? And I would lie to you if I said I wasn't concerned about certain laws that might be passed. I have brethren in the PCA, pastors, who are afraid because of foolish laws passed in Canada that if they preach from certain sections of this book, they'll be thrown in jail. 
because they'll be called hate crimes. Don't think I'm not concerned about laws that could destroy the family. Don't think that I'm not concerned about the current wickedness that we have that causes millions upon millions of defenseless children to be killed every year. I am. But I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm trusting that He will rule over all. And at the same time, I'm trusting that one of the ways in which He does that is through me and through you and through our influence to others living life before them. That's what we're called to do. You know the old saying? Preach the gospel all the time, occasionally, use words. It's true here. Well, this is what we have here in the grand scheme first of government. May the Lord bless us as we think and ponder upon important decisions, both this week to come and in years to come, that we would seek to honor the Lord first in our involvement with government. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us directions as to how we are to live life before our state. Lord, we ask that you would grant us peace, that you would grant us wisdom, that we might show before others the magnificence of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Hear the Lord's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the only eternal King, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen.